It's all part of the plan. DC Talk right here on Get Into Geek. My name is Mitch. And yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we had episode three, but woo! Couldn't wait another week until we got back in here and started talking about it all over again because DC have had some kind of seven days. Eight, technically, when we're talking about the Australian box office because, of course, Black Adam came out last Thursday here in Australia and uh, Friday in the States. Now, since its release internationally, it has made a global $156 million, a touch over half of that coming from the American box office. But, and I preface this with a little bit of a spoiler for those who haven't seen Black Adam. I still haven't seen it yet. But for the last two weeks, we've had a certain big reveal, kind of ruined or intentionally leaked out, make its way onto the interwebs. And it was confirmed for those that went and saw Black Adam over opening weekend before Henry Cavill himself came out Tuesday Australian time and said, yes, I am back as the Man of Steel, as Superman. Now, we don't know when that will be, how many films, what he might appear in, any cameos. Why would we know that just yet? But yes, he is coming back to the world of DC. And the newly named or newly kind of corrected or whatever you want to say, they're calling it the DCU now. No more DCEU, which was never an official title. It was just kind of the one that was thrown to the wall and stuck as far as the fans and online contributors got. So DCU, that's the official tag now, or at least it's the more official one that we're going with. Cavill himself took to Instagram to personally thank fans and to officially make the announcement. Now, if you haven't seen it or you missed our podcast earlier in the week for our Quick Geek News, here's a little bit of a taste of the video where he said there are some exciting things to come. The image you see on this post and what you saw in Black Adam are just a very small taste of things to come. I want to thank you guys most of all. Thank you for your support and thank you for your patience. I promise it will be rewarded. Now, I'm a big fan of Cavill as a person. Never met him. Have spoken to him. He seemed lovely. I'm a big fan of him as an actor. I recently watched for the first time The Tudors, so I smashed four seasons of a beautiful pre-Superman, Henry Cavill. But as far as the DC world goes, I am a massive fan of him as Superman. And I'm a fan of the movie Man of Steel. But whether you like it or not, the general feeling about Henry Cavill, no matter who I seem to talk to, come across, read about online, generally speaking, he was liked as Superman. It might have just been what they done with him, either in Man of Steel or as the movies went on. And people not sure how to use him, which was proved by WB because... It's been five years since we saw him appear in the uh, Justice League cut of Justice League, of course. And WB, up until they became WBD, Warner Brothers Discovery, seemed very hesitant about bringing Superman back, unsure how to use him. And how could we possibly make this character relevant in the world of today? Which seems like a crazy, crazy thought, right? And I'll personally say to anyone who's willing to listen, even those who aren't, how did Warner Brothers have Henry Cavill Someone who looks the way that he does. Physically perfect to play Superman. Someone who, on the inside, is as much of a geek as the rest of us who go and watch this stuff or read this stuff. Who is willing to commit to the world of Superman, to the character of Superman. Someone who, in their general day-to-day business, seems to act in a generally Superman type of way. Seems lovely. He says wonderful things. He seems to want to help people and be right and encourage everyone else to do the same thing. How could they have him? and stuff this up. 
Come June next year, it will have been 10 years since Cavill made his debut as Superman. Since then, we've only seen him in two more films. Three, if you count Zack Snyder's Justice League as a separate entity. Which you probably should because it's an entirely different cut of the film and maybe superior. Along the way, we've had another Superman on TV with Tyler Hoechlin taking on the role in both Supergirl and then his own show in Superman and Lois. And Warner Brothers clearly wanted to keep Superman around. He is arguably the most iconic superhero of all time. Definitely top three. Where the character, just not Cavill, got a cameo in Shazam. He was also there at the end of Peacemaker, though was more just a floating silhouette, as was Wonder Woman, let's be honest. While Jason Momoa was there and Ezra Miller because because the company definitely knew they were going to keep both of those people around long term. My God, that seems like a very silly decision in hindsight. Which is actually funny. I only watched the Peacemaker season finale two days ago. So that was a really funny kicker to have at the end of that scene, knowing what's happened since that show actually premiered at the beginning of the year. But as exciting as the Cavill confirmation is we're not going to see it for a while. It's the end of 2022. Maybe they start writing and they get this thing written by 2023. They go into production in 2024. We're not seeing a new Superman film, if that's what it's going to be, until 2025 at the earliest. Sure. That's three years away, and in six months, Henry Cavill turns 40. Now, 40 isn't even old, and he doesn't look whatever 40's supposed to... Look, if that's what 40 looks like, I will sign up to it now, and I am years younger than that man. But I can't help but feel there's a little piece of excited little geek inside of me that sees this as some kind of fresh casting all over again. He's already been Superman for 10 years, but I, now that he's back in this universe, want to see him play Superman for another 10 years. There's nothing I've wanted more, and all of us have wanted, from the DC cinematic world for the longest time, certainly the last 10 years, than stability. Guys, something, maybe direction, but direction and stability probably go hand in hand as far as these movies go. We've had good stuff in there. We've had not so good stuff in there. Just have something that flows along the way. I'm happy to have a shared cinematic universe like they've tried to with these Justice League movies and Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad and whatever does and doesn't relate along the way. And this is something the Get Into Geek team have been messaging each other about actually before the Cavill announcement was made, but the online talk from a week earlier about a Man of Steel 2. Now, I don't even know where that talk came from or originated. It doesn't really matter. It had us talking behind the scenes about the sort of mixed messaging that we're getting as far as this new regime of Warner Brothers Discovery are going with their DC movie content. They, on one hand, seem to be wanting to start completely fresh, forget what we've seen before, and basically Iron Man this situation as far as it started off a brand new Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now we're going to do that within their own world all the while seemingly continuing on with their separate universe films. A sequel to The Batman, a sequel to The Joker which is in production at the moment. Their first seemingly official announcement was a sequel to Constantine from 2005. I like it. It's a bit out of left field, but I like it. So the sudden rumor around A Man of Steel 2 was, okay, they're making an official sequel to the film that started it all. Is it going to fall in line with everything up until and including 
hell, the most recent The Suicide Squad or Joss Whedon's Justice League, Aquaman 2, which seems to be in that same world? Or are they going to go back and say, hey, we liked what Man of Steel did, but we're going to branch off in a different direction. And everything else that we saw after that could be up for replacement. I can't see them replacing Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. I can't see them replacing Jason Momoa as Aquaman. But much of those films, certainly the Wonder Woman ones, but even the majority of Aquaman, short of a few references, could still take place within a world that only began and included with Man of Steel. Do I think that Warner Brothers Discovery are going to resume Henry Cavill's Superman journey that started with Man of Steel, but then completely wipe away Batman vs. Superman and Justice League? Probably not. That's an expensive couple of films to put aside. Are they going to make a Man of Steel a Superman sequel, but fall after the events of those team-up films? Yes, they could. Do they have to reference them? Absolutely not. The thing is, you get plenty of chances to do something perfectly. You only get one chance to do it for the first time. So it's a bit unfortunate that the likes of the Justice League, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Aquaman, Cyborg, coming together for the first time. For a lot of the audience, the casual viewers, seeing some of those characters, how many casual fans do you know out there that knew who the hell Cyborg was, coming together for the first time to millions of pairs of eyes around the world was a very divisive at best, or a very underwhelming experience realistically. Because not that you want to compare everything to Marvel, but they have been a success story no one really in the casual viewer sphere knew who the hell iron man was or thor was and captain america looked like propaganda nonsense and the last time we saw hulk was an art house ang lee film that just featured a scientist that turned into a giant green monster whenever he got angry so It had all the reasons to fail or not pick up this insane popularity that those movies did, but then they come together with The Avengers, which was kind of an all-or-nothing situation. For the most part, that was a perfect first team-up film for those characters. That film still stands up, but the Marvel franchise continues to build on from 2012's Avengers to the point where we see all of this stuff happen in real time. For the most part, characters get older. They die. Other characters grow up watching these heroes as children. We've seen this a couple of times and then become heroes themselves and spin off and create other franchises along the way that gives birth to even more characters. As far as we know, we've seen Tony Stark. As far as we know, we've seen Steve Rogers and their journeys have begun, continued and ended within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think that's why the Cavill thing feels so fresh to me is because I have long seen the DC Cinematic Universe as being something that can exist a little bit like James Bond in that Pierce Brosnan's James Bond is the same character as Sean Connery's. They were separated by 40 years, but for all intents and purposes, those characters had experienced the same things. Daniel Craig is the only separate James Bond, but from Connery through to Brosnan, over 40 years, those films just existed in whatever time they were made. But the events, and many references along the way will confirm this, had happened to those Bonds. It didn't matter that an event for Pierce Brosnan's Bond was happening in 1997, yet something that he might have been referring to have done or a bad guy or a mission from another film had happened for us as an audience 35, 40 years earlier. The franchise as a whole existed in whatever movie we were watching in whatever year it was released. 
His boss, M, Bernard Lee, he saw three different actors play James Bond, as did Moneypenny. Gadget Guy Q saw five James Bond. And to keep up with the Bond analogy, I honestly think that DC could do the same, and we may see proof of that very, very soon. Right now, we have Henry Cavill as Superman, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, and Ben Affleck as Batman, who still got two appearances left to come, if we're to believe the second one, but the confirmed one is in The Flash. Now... Unless you've been living under a rock and you're not listening to this show, if you have, Ezra Miller's been in a little bit of trouble recently and Warner Brothers Discovery all but confirmed that they will no longer play Barry Allen in ongoing films, but the Flash film was way too expensive to not release. And the beauty of the Flash character, especially if we're going to be delving into some type of Flashpoint territory, is that things could happen in that film they could have already or go in over the next couple of months and do quote-unquote reshoots for a different ending where the Barry Allen we start with may be Ezra Miller, but by the end of the film, Barry's played by a different actor. But it will still be the same character that would have and will continue to, hopefully, interact with Cavalier Superman, Gadot as Wonder Woman, and potentially Affleck as Batman. But even if he gets recast, further proof that these same characters can be played by different actors. And I think why I want this is... While there may be some things that I will defend from the likes of Batman v Superman and the choices that it made with regard to some of the characters, I think the idea of having a mid to late 40s Batman is kind of restrictive if you're going to have these movies play out essentially in real time like the Marvel films do. The MCU already has this amazing legacy. Come May, it will be 15 years old. And you feel that when you're watching the franchise, it feels very lived in. These heroes have been around. They've established something incredible within that world and the people that live in it. But barely a week goes past where we don't see some type of suggestion about how Robert Downey Jr. could return as Tony Stark or Chris Evans could come back as a young version of Captain America. Their goodbyes felt earned. Their send-offs were beautiful. But at the same time, people don't want to say goodbye to those characters. Now... Is that having our cake and eating it too? Sure. But I want that to apply to the DCU now. How they do it, that is a conversation for another day. I'm just excited because Henry Cavill, who love or hate the movies that he's been in, I felt we wasted him as Superman, only using him so sparingly over the last decade that he has been cast as the character. So the news that he is coming back, however often that may be, in whatever films or TV series, whatever it may be, I'm just glad he's back. Now, of course, the other big news this week, and creatively speaking, it is much bigger, is that DC finally have their, quote, Kevin Feige. It's kind of a ridiculous term, but at least when you read it, you know exactly what people are talking about. Warner Brothers Discovery, once that merger came through, they very much said, hey, DC, surprisingly enough, is a massive property, and the Warner Brothers of old were not utilizing it properly. And they were going to establish DC as its own entity within Warner Brothers. And to do that, they would need someone to lead it and lead it solely and not have fingers in a bunch of other pies along the way. But who would they get to do it? Kevin Feige was brought up in the world of Marvel. He was an assistant of an assistant of an assistant way back when, when the X-Men films were starting out, and built up his career to the stage where Marvel established their own studios to develop their own films to the characters that they still had the rights to that hadn't been sold off. 
For all intents and purposes, they started small with Iron Man. Foggy had producing experience from his work in those other films at other studios, but had also very heavily been in the world of Marvel and their characters and stories for so many years. He was and continues to be the perfect person to lead Marvel Studios, both from a creative standpoint and quite clearly a producing standpoint because those things make money. And maybe the question along the way when people were asking who is the person they can get to replicate what Foggy has done was incorrect. They should have been asking who are the people we should be getting because that's what Warner Brothers did this week. And it was a surprising announcement. The first name, maybe not so much. Peter Safran is a long-term producer, has worked with Warner Brothers for many, many years. He's had his hands on the last couple of Aquaman films. He worked on Peacemaker. He worked on The Suicide Squad. So from a streaming and cinematic standpoint, he's been involved in DC. But then also from his long list of film credits, he's done things with Warner brothers like the conjuring universe and produced pretty much every film in that expansive franchise so he's dealt with these giant blockbuster superhero movies but also with very low budget very successful horror movies so has he got the producing chops yes is he familiar with the company yes has he already dealt with the world of dc characters yes so he seems like a good choice right That's right, he does. Hey, how good are sound effects? But the other one that was more surprising was James Gunn, right? While he'd had smaller films along the way that were giving him notoriety with fans of that genre, he really broke onto the world stage with Guardians of the Galaxy. And then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 unceremoniously was forced away from Marvel and Disney went over and did The Suicide Squad, which was a very big change from the type of movies that DC were currently making. He then took a character from that film film went to make Peacemaker for HBO Max, which was also pretty well received. And then he's gone back to do Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 with Marvel and Disney again, and the upcoming Christmas special, which hits Disney Plus in just under a month before he goes back and does Peacemaker Season 2. The guy is busy and it's all comic book stuff. Now, I would have almost expected him to say, that's it, I'm done. I want to go and see what else I can make out there. There's more to this world. There's more to my career than just superheroes. Others have come and done that before him, whether they be writers or directors or even actors. They don't stick around for as long as us fans might want them to. James Gunn seems to be doubling down. He is also going to be joining Peter Safran as co-chairman and CEOs of the newly formed DC Studios. And doesn't that just sound wonderful? And we spoke about earlier wanting stability, wanting direction for a DC universe. Now, short on the heels of that Man of Steel 2 rumor came a report that James Gunn had pitched a secret movie to Warner Brothers Discovery. Now, whether or not that was someone misreading information that actually had to do with James Gunn coming on as a co-chair and CEO of DC Studios... It's kind of irrelevant because the reporting goes on to suggest that he will still have that flexibility and ability to direct films that he's also in the process of planning. That's the job of both he and Safran is to produce a long-term plan for DC Studios on where this universe can go and hopefully still allow other films to be made outside of a main shared cinematic universe. I do want to see Superman and Batman and the Justice League and everybody else all exist exist in the one shared universe but I also still want to see the likes of the Batman and Matt Reeves world continue where Batman is the only focus in that world I do want to see what Joker 2 becomes Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn with Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker in some type of weird psychotic musical 
yeah, I'm curious enough. Sign me up. Let's do this. Yes, there was some negativity online from those that don't like gun style and that Peacemaker and the Suicide Squad understandably shared a similar tone and that people don't want that for the overall DC universe. Let's be honest, Gunn's smart enough to not make a Batman film that looks like Peacemaker. To not make a Justice League film that feels like The Suicide Squad. But as I said, after only watching the Peacemaker season finale two days ago, that very quick scene with the Justice League at the end, mere hours after hearing news of Gunn's promotion, I thought, Oh, he can do this. He can very much do this. Aquaman's not going to drop F-bombs. They're not going to accuse him of sleeping with fish in a Justice League film. But the very short look and feel of the chemistry between even just two of those characters felt very right and exciting. So yes, we've still got Shazam 2 to come next year. We have Aquaman 2 to come next year. We have The Flash to come. All movies that were in production and produced by the old Warner Brothers regime. Whether or not narratively those continue on under the lead of Gunn and Safran, at this stage, we at least have a DC Studios, we at least have a hierarchy within it, and hopefully, along with it, some stability and some direction. Now, we're done with the news. We're going to do what we always do at the end of our Capes and Cows episodes. We're going to review some of the TV. There's no new TV in the DC world coming out at the moment, you might say. Yes, you're absolutely right. If you're joining us for the first time, these fresh episodes, and when I say fresh, I mean that very, very loosely. I started recording a long time ago, and I've only recently started publishing them around about the time that the CW were cancelling every show that they had. But you know what? I said, let's continue to do it. I've not seen these shows. I want to still watch them. I want to still talk about them. And along the way, we might get to see how the new DC regime affects the world of television, whether anything will exist on network, on cable, or whether it's all just going to be going to streaming. All the while, getting to see where these shows go, or rather, where they went before they were cancelled. So to follow on from where we were last week, we are now up to episode four of season two of Batwoman. And right after this little stinger, we will go back to something that I recorded way too long ago. So any references that I make that may make me look in hindsight like an idiot, I apologize for. But I hope you enjoy it, especially at the end where I very much look forward to the premiere of Superman and Lois, something that in real time happened over 18 months ago. All right, hit play. Kind of a dark episode. Last week we had serial killers, this week street drugs and kidnapping. It's not that Batwoman has ever gone too much into the fantasy realm, but I actually really like it when they still stick with it. You know, Batman's, he's always had his fair share of enhanced rogues, but he's definitely at his best when he's a vigilante up against real crime. So I'm glad to see that Batwoman is following suit. Let all the fantastical stuff happen over on Supergirl, Superman and Lois, I imagine, and The Flash as well in a couple of weeks. I even like the idea of well, what I'm assuming is Scarecrow's fear toxin. I don't think anyone else out there is taking the copyright of that being incorporated into the street drugs world to create new products. Look, I'm sure it's something that the comics have covered before probably multiple times, but I'm only going off the TV shows, and it just makes sense within the world and about how the added layers and threats these villains pose, not only against the likes of Batman and other superheroes, but also how they could affect just normal people. Not really high no pun intended, on the idea of the guy freshly injected with the snakebite drug explaining to Batwoman why he gets high, though. You're throwing your life away. That crap will kill you. Certainly get you close. 
That's the point. Fear, fantasy, whatever makes your blood pump. Not that I'm accusing the writers of being right into the gear, but the way the guy speaks there sounds like the line was written by someone who's never actually been on drugs. Now, in fairness, I've never been on the sort of stuff that the drug is supposed to be like, but I highly doubt that I would be sitting there breaking down the philosophy of why one gets into drugs in the first place while standing on the side of a very dirty street. Uh, There's no two ways about it. The Batmobile still looks pretty low grade, but at least it does look a little bit better with the quote, new paint job. I don't even think I remember a bat symbol on the car in episode one this season. So this time around, definitely an improvement. I said a few podcasts ago, the messaging behind Ryan's motivations was fine. It was just the execution where it failed. Now, while this episode may have a far too convenient storyline where Ryan is rescuing a kid taken by the exact same person that did exactly the same thing to her when she was younger, it does go away to showing her helping those who were otherwise not being helped, which from the outset of this season has been her mission. While I know, okay, Ryan is only a few weeks into being Batwoman and doesn't have the training behind her that Kate did twice in this episode. Two times she was snuck up on. The second time, arguably understandable. She was in an emotional state. She's coming face to face with the woman who had kidnapped her as a child and was attacked by two unseen men with tasers in the dark. Okay, I get that. But the first, at the start of the episode, Ryan is snuck up on by a nervous young boy looking for his brother. Need to do better. You're wearing the bat suit for God's sake. You're a ninja superhero. Ryan getting tased outside the candy lady's house, though, does set up the episode's true horror setting. A survivor finding themselves back at the one place they tried to escape from. Even the music seemed to be straight-up horror, sounding a lot like that of the Halloween franchise. Listen, Listen to this. This is from the Batwoman episode as adult Ryan is taken inside the candy lady's house. Get her inside. And this is from 1978's Halloween. Is that just me? The only difference, the candy lady really doesn't know how to hold a butcher knife compared to Michael Myers. Go back and watch as she slowly walks up the stairs to adult Ryan, who's tied up in the attic floor. It's laughable. And that's where the episode's multiple storylines start to intersect. Commander Kane, who's opened the episode with a public offer of a million dollars, mind you, for information on Kate's whereabouts or even just disappearance, is meeting once again by himself with a man claiming to know something. We then find out that guy is one of the false face society who is behind the snakebite drug and he is now boasting the missing boy Kevin as a new gang member. We're catching up? Good. Why the False Face Society call in a tip for a million-dollar reward they were obviously never going to cash in on as they were using Commander Kane as like a final induction test for Kevin. Why use Kane at all? Why not some random cop on the street if it had to be a police officer? Why not some stranger off the street if it just had to be someone? 
And then we get the real crossover. A seemingly passed-by character that was apparently robbing the hideout of this mysterious ocean character that Alice and Sophie are looking for turns out to be Ryan's ex-girlfriend. The same ex-girlfriend that helped Ryan escape from the Candy Lady when she was a kid. So... How does this seemingly innocent, albeit down on her luck, stealing from random houses woman, fit into this wider story? She did hold a keycard for a motel, a motel that Ocean had left instructions for to drop off some merchandise the following day. Hopefully, we'll see this next week. The timeline basically tells us that we're going to find out more then. We also see that Ryan is still carrying a pretty nasty wound from where she was shot with that kryptonite bullet back in, what, episode one? But it's been three weeks since she was shot. When are we going to get anything more on that? What's going to come of it? It seems to be something really important, although I'm saying that the infection doesn't seem to be spreading that far. It just seems to not be healing. But it seems to be a point the show wants to tell us about. So tell us something about it. In the end, not a bad episode overall compared to the rest of the season, the way that it tells a bit more of a personal story for Ryan, which is important. They've been trying to stick her into the storyline post-season one, post-Kate's disappearance and making her sort of fit that mould. But this one kind of paints a bit more of a picture of her background and why she is who she is and why she is the way that she is, which is very important. Rather than telling us things, show us things. And I think this episode does it a lot better than the last three have probably even put together. The tick is that this show so far only manages to make one of its dual storylines per episode interesting. Things are starting to build up and come together, as if by design in the case that Superman and Lois is really good next week and any lingering fans might want to give up one show and take on another. But that will do us for episode 4 of DC TV. As I just said though, next week Superman and Lois finally kicks off with a double episode premiere. Thankfully it's still only known as one episode. So it's a movie length episode, only it's not. It's like an hour and 20 minutes. But you get what I'm saying. Superman and Lois finally hitting our screens, which is great because the trailers have looked really good and probably look even better if you're a Man of Steel fan. The way that the colour palette and the, the grainy look of it, even the darker, more personal journey and storyline of Superman himself seems to be favouring that Man of Steel look rather than a much lighter-toned Christopher Reeve or, I guess when we're talking TV, Dean Cain Superman. So we'll see whether it does match that and we'll see if it works and is going to work long-term. In the meantime, you can subscribe to our podcast if you aren't already, and we will be getting onto more and more podcasting platforms. So if this isn't your favorite one that you're listening through, stick around and uh, we'll update you as we get onto more and more platforms. Follow us on the socials for those updates, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GetIntoGeek, or drop us a long-form line, GetIntoGeek at gmail.com. Nice short podcast today for episode four of Batwoman. We will be back next week, though, episode five of Batwoman and the long-awaited premiere episode of Superman and Lois all next week on DC TV. Get into geek.